Big episode today. Gotta get it right. Gotta feel the burn. Oh yeah, coffee town, baby. Starbucks ain't got nothing on this. They're gonna see me. They're gonna see all of me on my burning. Spot, 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 coffee town. And ladies and gentlemen and viewers and subscribers of all ages, welcome back to week eight of That's the Fucking trailer. trailer. And you know what's happening this week? I am really perky. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. You know why? Because I had my good old stuff. What is this? What episode is this brought to us by, David? Oh, this episode we are covering Coffee Town. And be sure to stick around through this whole damn thing because coming up we are talking to the writer, the director, the godfather of this film. We'll be um, unloading all kinds of insight. Uh, about the film and much much more coming up in the episode during cast crew review yes and with that being said guys again well, you know what this was every week we try to tell you guys whose pick it was what was going on so this actually was uh picked by Durden. so Durden, tell us before we get into talking points why did you choose coffee town coffee town is an underappreciated gem that i feel like uh, i only stumbled upon it because of glenn howardson with always sunny in philadelphia um Golden and God. Then, once I started Golden God, speaking of, we have a Patreon now. Go to our Patreon. We'll put the link in the description and help us keep doing this show. Not only that, but help us do it better. Help us put some money into the advertising and get more of an audience, more interaction going on. It's, it'll be a better experience for everybody. We have multiple options. You can be a f***er, a motherfucker, a badass motherfucker. Or the Golden God. And with the Golden God, there's uh, merchandise and swag options that you can get throughout the year. As you swag meaning us. stuff we all get. But only if you're a Golden God. Yes. So check out our Patreon page, please. We are, we are, this, I don't know if this goes without saying, but this is an unpaid gig. We are doing this strictly because we love movies. We love talking about movies. But it would be nice. Uh, uh, it, just so you guys have an understanding of what goes into each episode, we, we there's there's a day or two spent on research. There's today where we spend all day shooting, doing the interview. There's a day or two of post-production. So at the end of the day, days, we're talking about like a week of work to produce this uh, episode on what we've been trying to do as a weekly basis. So... You know, we're not begging, but if you have a few extra bucks, consider um, putting it into what we're doing if you enjoy what we're doing. To put it in a 10-second perspective of everything he just said, you guys know how teachers get underpaid? We teach and we don't get paid. And that's the f***ing pitch. <laughs> All right, so yeah, Coffee Town. Um, it is a hilarious movie. I got into it because of Glenn Howerton with Always Sunny, and I fell in love with it because of the amazing writing the jokes per minute the the care all of the characters are great it is just like as you can see there are there's just i i tried to write, write down everything that was great about this movie as as i watched it again last night and it is just there's so much happening every 10 seconds it's like impossible to keep up with 
Um, so we're going to try to get into as much of it as we can today. We're going to get into talking points, but before we do, I want to get into fraudulent points. I just want to let you guys know, I've been filming him, uh, this is episode eight, and I've never fact-checked or looked at what was on his paper, but either, uh, either the Patron is starting to get to me, but it looks like, that paper looks like every paper from every show i feel like he's just coming here telling me he's writing it down it's like it's he's adding stuff he, okay whatever let's just get into it talking points let's go all right, all right. damn we'll fix it in post cue the music <laughs> all right i'm starting that's why i threw it all over the place so i can start let me tell you about this all right coffee time a fr a film directed produced by and writer uh of course mr brad copeland who of course we'll be talking to later on and you know what i think he's an awesome guy uh, as we like to call him mr exclusive yeah yeah there's some there's some bombs dropped it's a hiroshima of an interview um <laughs> dj clue 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 so there is so much to get into about this movie. Um, first thing that I noticed that, that I really enjoyed was uh, the banter, the rivalry between Sam and Will. Um, multiple moments. You have the waiting until he finishes writing the order on the cup before adding more to it. Like, you know, he adds the uh, whole milk and he's like, now if I can only drink whole milk without shitting myself. Um, Sam, how he comes up to him, he's like, you enjoying that coffee? <laughs> yeah, love it. But then what does he say? But when you're in a psychological warfare, sometimes you still gotta you gotta keep. Yeah. And he sets his coffee on the free coaster. Like fire you, with fire. It's not. It was not a free coaster. It's my fucking CD. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about, um, and 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 I know when again we always bring up things that we've seen in the past that we've done. But when you done when we did, uh, I'm gonna kill someone this Friday. I had no idea, and I'm I'm thinking I don't know this subconsciously the barista scene and that kind. Of, I thought about that when I was watching this. It was such a. Uh, we saw them for so many days. Go, probably right on the, the cup and then this yeah. and that. It's like I felt, I felt that a little coffee townish. Mm -hmm. Tab it. Um, going back to Sam and Will, uh, go refill the half and half. You go refill the half and half. Can I refill the half and half? And then finally, with, are you really trying to tell me the half and half is empty? Yeah, he has conceded at that point. I've only seen this one time. <laughs> I'm quoting the movie that's how good it is people hello and then of course the um the 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 climax of their rivalry when when will gets to or he's like he tells becca he's like let me get your drink i need this he goes in he orders the drink and uh extra whipped cream name becca why don't you write a shitty song about that <laughs> i'm the stirrer She's a stir, and I'm the and the heart of grounds of my life. I'm like, oh my gosh, get the fucking together. I actually felt bad for him in that moment. I never felt bad for him. He's an asshole musician. He's coffee shop guy. Literally, they got coffee shop guy to play coffee shop guy. One of the things I loved about it, Ralph, the fact I love satire, and we'll talk about this later with, we'll definitely talk about it with Brad later about how uh, the world has been so PC now, and of course that was one of the last times where you can get away with just about saying anything, and of course me being. I don't, I mean, according to Heritage.com or Ancestry.com, I don't know whether I'm African-American, black. I mean, I know what I am. They'll, they'll tell you I'm anything. If you, unless you can tell me where the fuck they stole me from, I'm not paying shit. But with that being said, one of the things I love from the fucking film, Brown Town. Like, they never even meant it to fucking be racist, but they knew it would it would stab some people and make them feel bad. That shit is so fucking funny. Like, we're going to call it Brown Town, but uh, that didn't really play over well. Yeah. <laughs> it plays over less well now. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, uh... Yeah, they, they definitely hit on some 
on some touchy subjects. Like, right off the bat, you have the AIDS joke with uh, Jake Johnson from New Girl coming in. Like, I got f***ing AIDS. Like, and that's that's two minutes in. Yeah, you don't even get a not chance to even. sit down. <laughs> then you get then Chad, of course, who... Uh, the So, yeah, I just want to... Chad and the smoking is so funny to me because... One, that is exactly how I got into smoking. His reason, uh, Chad works across the street in like a lighting fixture place. And um, he, he noticed that the boss smokes. So there's these sanctioned smoke breaks by the boss. So he actually, he goes from having a homeless person blow smoke all over him and in his mouth to actually smoking himself. That's how, and I'll I actually talk about that when we're in the uh, interview with Brad about the how I got into smoking, but that, going back to the, the touchy subjects, you know, he pulls out the Newports, and, uh, um, Will is like, Newports, huh? Menthol. And he's, uh, he's like, how, what, what's a non-racist way to tell Chad he smokes cigarettes, mostly black people smoke, he's, and, uh, Gino, there's no racist way to say something racist, but then the best part of that whole dynamic is, the uh the black customers outside and the look that he gives Chad when he sees the Newports like like oh this uh this guy he's like Newports huh it's like yeah like like I could literally feel my insides turning black the menthol <laughs> yeah menthol. <laughs> oh and he's when he's packing them he's like what does that do I don't, I don't know, know. <laughs> Chad is one of the Chad is one of the highlights I mean the banter between Chad Will and Gino throughout the whole movie is well, it's like gold it, it pretty much no matter who he banters with it, it's always go even when he was like I said even with the black guy outside the coffee shop was just sitting there looking like high tower from police academy <laughs> as this guy is just I mean it's really turning my insides black and this guy's like what the and did, I, did you notice in the next part he's kicking his ass out oh yeah, yeah he's against the, the window, window. <laughs> like going down uh, one of the other things i noticed uh, i always like to cross-reference uh pop culture shows i love and and think that we're all sometimes when we're doing stuff we're influenced by it was the whole no tip thing reminded me of the seinfeld thing with the soup nazi like george was going to t- no it wasn't even the soup nazi he was tipping but the mm-hmm. guy didn't see so he tried to take it back out and put it in, like what are you doing what are you like so it while well, it's, it's just a, it, the context of the whole tip thing just kind of made me uh look at that and, and another thing i want to talk about you brought up the cigarettes notice that when he went from having uh, the bomb or somebody blow cigarettes on him like like i want i want to make this very f-ing clear when when chad is in mid oh, also another kill reference when chad is in mid conversation he's just sitting there and for no reason we don't get a warning or anything only chad sees his boss walks by he jumps the f- up out of nowhere runs the f- he looks around and he he is so desperate to keep his brakes and not be found out that he takes a cigarette, a nasty-ass cigarette from a disgusting bum. I mean, I'm saying disgusting bum because I think there are not disgusting bums out there. But there's a disgusting bum outside yeah. of the f***ing door and just immediately starts smoking it. Now, normally, that'll be funny. But like we say, this, scene, this movie does a good job of callbacks. Later on, we see Chad sticking the cigarette out the window and the, the bum co- comes and takes it back. Car. Yeah, the cop here. car. No, I don't care. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Right. Yeah, like, and, 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 oh, oh, that's Gino. They was like, "Hey, you know you're not supposed to be using that off duty." He's like, "It's my only car." Gino is the worst cop ever, and they they made bad cops funny before bad, bad cops, cops were was really like yeah. a talking point in society. Well, I mean, hey, I guess they always have. Hey, man, what happened with that drive by? I didn't report it. I, could, about, I couldn't find any when, clues. I didn't know what happened, so it wasn't. You don't, you don't know what I have to do every day. And he drops the gun on the ground. The well, safety's safety, on. The safety. safety's on. You know what? Oh, I always forget to click it. The safety wasn't on. Like, <laughs> what? 
And let's not forget somebody this shot out of a car. You don't. You, you, yeah, I didn't. I, nobody got shot, and I didn't solve this. Uh, let's not we're... forget this. Mother, let's not forget him saying, uh, "Man, you got to be aggressive. You got to get in her zone." You know what I'm saying? He was like, "You want my gun?" He's like, "Why would I want your gun?" <laughs> I'm not going to shoot her. Uh, he's like, "Man, listen." He, and then he's like, "Oh, she's taking my key. You want me to arrest her?" But I say, "Listen, if I arrest her, as soon as I throw on the face of that car, she's going to want to fuck me." <laughs> Who wouldn't? <laughs> How about Chad right off the top trying to present an argument for the segregation for segregation? Like they get their own water fountain. In fairness, and that's where I say, well, I can see why you fell in love with this movie, because that's something I would only see either on Seinfeld, Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Atlanta, you know, because, again, it's just it just pains me in that a PC society that that, that we live in now. We grew up in the era of, you know, Richard, right, right. I've heard I heard people call people look like me nigger for, forever. So now now we're worried about what we're saying. Like, oh, I just don't I, understand. I, like yesterday, I just went back and started re because Chappelle shows on Netflix now. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just went back and started watching it from episode one. That motherfucker came out of the gate swinging. Like, right. Everything that's about to upset everybody. Let's get it out of the way. Episode. I didn't realize it was, like, it was two. It was number two. He was like, this episode might get us canceled, but yeah. here we go. <laughs> Yeah, so like to see, and we talk about this in the interview with Brad, like the to get into a movie where in, in the first five minutes they have already talked about racial issues, they've made a joke about AIDS, and I can't remember what else, but like you know right off the top in this movie that it's it's brave. So you are, it, it, it's it's almost like watching a horror movie where somebody gets uh, like um, high tension comes to mind where right in the very beginning of the horror film um there's somebody getting head in a pickup truck and then he you see the head come up but he's holding the head and it's decapitated and he was actually in the neck and right there when i'm watching this movie i'm like oh so i need to be prepared for anything because everything is on the table when it comes to this and it is you don't really get that that much anymore <laughs> I hundred percent agree. They don't, they don't they don't hide from you at all what's going on. Uh, uh, we talked about this. Uh, one of the things we found funny was Gino's reverse psychology. Like you know, it hit hit the woman low as far as like, hey, you know, what I'm saying, let, hey, you want a drink? Yeah, Big Daddy. He's like, let me get a uh, rum and a diet coke. Hey, is that a stool sturdy enough for you? Is it holding you? I can get you another one. No, no, I'm fine. <laughs> hey, what's wrong with your face? <laughs> So, I mean, and, and like I said, it's guys out there like that. So and that's another thing this film did. It did a good job with having us identify with characters that we know exist. One of the other things that I wanted to uh, <clears throat> wanted to talk about was, uh, like, when one of the, for a, see, it's, it's not a great, the greatest comedies aren't simply just comedies. There's always still a little something to them. And, and later on in the film, one of the things I found was when it says Coffee Town was that place to belong. His sense, and I can I can relate to that, not in the sense of going to Starbucks or wherever. I can relate in the sense to where if you're about to like bulldoze my world, I'm going to do everything in the f***ing world to protect my world. Up and leading to staging a fake robber. He simply went through all of that just, that, that was like some white suburbia sh the, the worst thing he could do without really going to jail was he just wanted a police report. Yeah. This is like, it was no, like, we'll talk about that later. He, he only wanted a police report. Fucking Chad with that. Oh, wanted, uh, we'll take a little bit of money. That's still robbing. Dude. Well, I've had my eye on one of those hoodies over there. Do you know what robbing is? Don't yeah. chuck $35 for those yeah. hoodies. Yeah. Dude. And the 
up part about it. They went over this shit with him 90 times before the robbery. He gets in there. The moment don't, he hits the ground. Don't cover your eyes. Don't, don't cover your eyes. The moment he hits the ground, David, he goes straight for the cash register. He's like, oh, no. I'm like, this <laughs> Chad, man. Is, he is. That's very sugar in the raw of him. <laughs> Why aren't you paying attention? I was playing with the sugar. The cream. Why can't I be cream? We could have both be cream. Like, what are you doing? I don't care what we are. What's happening? <laughs> Not to mention why they're going over. I told the guys we were going to do a drug bust on the place, so they drew me up this little, this little cutout. Remember they were planning the robbery, mm -hmm. but then when the when the other guy comes around, uh, the other guy comes up, the guy that the, the Down syndrome character comes up, they flip it over real quick, and it's more homicide stuff. Just somebody <laughs> being shot in the back. It's like, ooh, ooh, we don't have a lot of paper. Like the uh, <laughs> and they, the speaking of Chad, the the beautiful thing about that character and the genius of putting a character like that in the dynamic of this group is because it plays so perfectly on Glenn Howerton's strength. Like one of the best things I love about his character, Dennis and always sunny is yeah, he's almost as stupid as the gang that he's affiliated with, but he considers himself to be superior and smarter, wiser. So he's constantly in this position to, to put up with, um, the the shenanigans of the people around him and to throw a, a character like chad in the mix in this movie for glenn howerton to constantly be put like that moment like i don't, I don't like what are you talking about right now stop this whore uh, what is her name whore how uh whores i know you, oh. they're talking about the uh the guy the, I, the, the the ge guy yeah. yeah like stop talking about this right now like those responses he glenn howerton is so great at those so to give him somebody like chad to constantly play off of like that made it was just made funnier and, and, funny scenes and he funny, wasn't man. just dumb chad actually had some intelligence to him when they were talking about the robber he says uh he's like no we're not going to take anything we're not going to take anything he was like my lips were sealed he's like not a secret like what are you talking about your lips are fucking sealed uh what one of the other things uh i want to look at is uh that to me it did such and see it's it's almost when we talk when we talk to brad later he's going to tell us as well this is more so and i really got this feeling where it was friends doing a film a bunch of a lot of writing like this was like a writer's camp and they all got us like whatever we can't say now they're able to do it but one of the things i want to talk about was they did a, I don't know if it was intentional, but they did a really good job of, it's like 10 days to the robbery, nine days to the robbery. And just in the spirit of the film, I'm looking, I'm like, it's only like 25 minutes left in the film. They got like four more days left for the robbery. What's happening today? They, they, they're sitting, it's at Brooks, they, they go back to some uh, space ball. Everything that's happening now, they literally, it was four days left to the robbery or something like that. And they're sitting at the bar, he's like, wait a minute, that's happening now? And he's like, Choo! Robert did 12 hours away. And like, Gino oh, called it, too. He's like, cops are bored on Tuesdays. So you're going to have everybody here. And, right. And he said, F***ing Tuesday. He's like, yeah. F***ing crazy, man. Dude. And uh, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about a lot of stuff. But it, listen, there, we would be on talking points all day. I'm just going to tell you that because it was so much brilliance to this. But go ahead, please. I know you have more. Uh, just a few more. Yeah. The fact that Chad gets called a R word uh, by the guy with Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. Um another one of those moments where like i can't believe this movie is doing this right now and they find a way to tiptoe around these subjects in such a way where it's kind of like always sunny they they take these these um taboo subjects in comedy and find a way to make you laugh at them um the, the that whole scene the the 
setting up the fight, special people versus non-special people, and Chad's special powers, the f***ing Indian burn. Like, oh all right, gosh. let's go with that. Then the punchline is when he wins, a literal punchline, the, the cook clocks him in the face and says, he's got Down syndrome, you asshole. And uh, all the way, to, like, the... the then uh, uh, Will borrows the bike, and he assumes that the guy with Down syndrome has the tricycle, so he takes that. And then as he's talking to Becca after he chases her down, he gets hit with some. He's like, I'm, I'm, I'm almost too much of a nice guy. Smack right in the face, and it turns out he stole the bike from a war veteran. I fought a fucking war for you. The same war veteran that asked him, have you seen the paper? And he said yeah. no, and it was under the laptop for his legs I, again man. like we said in the like we go into in the interview with with brad is that there's all of these jokes that we're mentioning most of them have callbacks later on oh, yeah. in the movie that definitely. even that just like in that make them even better yes definitely De uh one of one of one of my talking points real quick i, I was want to be want to be one of my uh i'm still no it's such a good scene i can't even i can't even take make it a talking point go ahead all right so the I, one of the moments I thought was pretty funny is, uh, um, are you a poop chipper? Oh, I knew you were going to do that. Yeah, I knew you were going to do it. <laughs> there are, like, so, uh, and just for those who have not seen the movie yet, if you haven't, you should watch it before you're seeing this episode. But uh, And it's available on Amazon or YouTube to purchase or rent. Uh, poop chipper is someone who uses their own urine to chip away your poop off the porcelain. And, and what does that say about you as a man? If you, it's, there's two type of people in this world. There's people who are poop chippers and who will piss it right off, and people who won't. Got to figure out what kind of you are, man. <laughs> That's. Um, I think the last thing. Oh, okay. I have. I, I have six two, last I have things. Two more things. <laughs> part Part A of paragraph one of number one. Go ahead. Another hilarious part was because um, this has actually happened before, where uh, Becca walks in. And someone asks, uh, who's that? And he says, Becca, just in time for her to turn around. He's like, oh, she's, now she saw me mouth her name. <laughs> I like that. I like that. But that can only be topped by, I thought you were going to say, this has happened before. And if it was, I was going to say, I thought you were talking about Jason Granger. It was the scene where the guy is super drunk. So for some reason, uh, he, they, they have to get the bum drunk. And he sends him back to his house. He, he tries to get him to lay on the couch. He's like, no, it's couch bugs. He goes, gets right in his bed naked, lays down dick first, and then does the wiggle. It's yeah, like a little ways and a little wiggle. I'll make sure I get all in there. We call that the Jason Granger. Speaking of unwanted roommates, the last thing I have uh, is the uh, Derek Waters from Drunk History. Uh, he plays roommate number two after Jake Johnson dies. And... He's like, I don't sleep. The rapid eye movement. But the best, the best part is when, um, when Will is like at his, at his wits end with everything, with everything being taken away from him. And he just, he's like, sometimes you just want to shoot your TV or just go have a turkey lunchable. And he and went and got that Like, ah, what the f***? What the f***? I told you I don't sleep. Hello, <laughs> Clarice. Oh my uh, gosh, man! That's hey. Listen, if those aren't enough, listen again. It's nothing. It's so many talking points for Coffee Town, but we got more to get to. So, David, tell us what's next. All right, it is time for big bikes. So we have a special big facts this time because there's so little information out there about Coffee Town that we actually were uh, 
that we had to reach out to writer-director Brad Copeland for some exclusive information. So these uh, top four facts are going to be things that you have not seen anywhere online anywhere until today. Exclusive. So let's get into that. Here are ten big facts about Coffee Town. Number nine, plug away. College Humor produced Coffee Town, and if you notice, when Gino is sitting in his car doing the robbery, he's watching a College Humor video, and the opening sequence can be seen playing. Talk about an Easter egg, David. Mm-hmm. You gotta, you gotta promote yourself. Number eight, Groban Pops. Josh Groban plays a barista that longs to be a rock star. In reality, Groban is a multi-platinum award-winning singer. Is he now? Another plug, if you will. Number seven, another plug. Greg, a character in the show Life in Pieces, which Coffee Town writer-director is also a writer-producer on, visits Coffee Town in the 2016 episode. Receptionist, pot, voting, cramp. That's those uh, episodes that we talk about with Brad Copeland, yes. how they string together four words. Number six, on-screen offspring. The little boy who sits next to Will on the apartment stoop is Oliver Copeland, Brad Copeland's son. Brad, listen, if your child ever wanted to be in a Walmart wallet, that's what I see. Number five, connection. Josh Groban actually appeared in Glenn Howerton's show It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia the same year The Coffee Town was released. He also went on to star in Brad Copeland's show Life in Pieces three years later in 2016. Mm. Number four, let's be cops. Damon Wayans Jr. was originally eyed to play Gino, the cop, but apparently Ben Schwartz was adamant about playing this character, even though Ben Schwartz originally read for the, the barista, barista who Josh Groban took. At the yes. end of the day, I think things worked out phenomenally. Because Damon Wayans Jr. still got to be a cop. That's true. Gotcha. Number three, credits. Brad Copeland actually handmade the credit sequence practically done in the beginning of the movie it's beautiful uh, one of the like i'll be honest with you if it's one thing that's not like the other i will say this when you watch the beginning opening of the film as far as that you almost feel like you're going into a at least a 10 to 15 million dollar budget film and it's not that it's two million dollars but that's another big fact uh number two rad the same stuntman from the movie rad which Coffee Town pays homage to in the BMX sequence at the club, they had the same stuntman in that scene. So Brad Copeland actually gets into this in the interview that he's he's trying to give the stuntman the inspiration for like what he's going for. Like we're trying to do like rad and the stuntman's like, that was me. Right. So they paid homage to that scene even more than they had intended to. It's almost the first dual Easter egg. And number one, this is the one that got me the most, I think is just hilarious. Too real. So they actually built a coffee shop uh, to be Coffee Town in the movie, and they did such a great job at making this look like a legitimate coffee shop that during production, real people would wander in trying to buy coffee from Josh Groban. Crazy. You know they spent $500,000 on building that coffee shop? A good, yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. I was, 
I mean, yeah, you wonder where money goes, but I mean, I, I just would have. How much does it take? And you say, in production time, which we'll learn later, was about twenty-four days of shooting. I mean, how much does it cost to rent out a Starbucks for for twenty-four days? It can't. It cannot be five hundred thousand. How much money does Starbucks do in twenty-four days? Guys, look that up for us. Anybody in the comments, you'll get a free DVD of this season, edited by no one at this table. All right, and for our special segment of Big Facts today, we have eleven comedies that you probably don't know about but should. All right, number 11, Dirty Work. This is Norm MacDonald at his Norm MacDonaldist with bonus bits of Chris Farley. Dirty Work. Number 10, The 10. David Wayne, most uh, best known for uh, Wet Hot American Summer. He turns the 10 commandments into 10 short absurd stories. Number nine, Career Opportunities. Uh, this is Frank Whaley, Jennifer Connelly. It's about a slacker night worker at Target who gets involved with a robbery. It is pure 80s and it is pure goodness. Number eight, Rubber. This is the perfect spin on horror films. It takes all the usual tropes and throws them for a loop in the most hilarious of ways. And it's actually kind of scary too. It's got legitimate suspense, legitimate funny moments. Number seven, Adaptation. This is a double dose of Nicolas Cage at his best. Uh, he plays himself as well as his twin brother in Charlie Kaufman's uh, insane story about a screenwriter. It almost seems, it just seems like it's always too much Nicolas Cage. <laughs> There's never enough Nicolas Cage. All right. And uh, Chris Cooper is also fantastic in Adaptation. Uh, number six is Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Bang Bang. Shane Black, uh, writer of Monster Squad, he gives Val Kilmer and Robert Downey Jr. some of the best dialogue of their careers. Not enough people have seen this movie. It is right up there as far as uh, buddy com buddy comedy mystery action, like right up there in the in the realm of like Lethal Weapon. Uh, number five, The Ref. Dennis Leary holds a family hostage and goes full Dennis Leary on them for the entire movie. So if you like Dennis Leary's stand-up, watch him kidnap Kevin Spacey and his family and go full Dennis Leary on them for the entire movie. Number four, Brigsby Bear. Kyle Mooney of SNL writes and stars in this sweet, absurd film about a fan of a children's TV show that gets that he goes out to finish the story after the show's cancellation. Number three, Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou. This is Bill Murray at his best, Wes Anderson at his most vibrant. Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou is as beautiful as it is hilarious. Number two, Coffee Town. Brad Copeland's labor of love. This comedy packs more great jokes per minute than uh, pretty much any film I've ever seen. It doesn't stop, literally. If you're a fan of Office Space, you should watch Call of Duty. Or The Down. Office, or uh, which one? Which one are we missing? Uh, not uh, what's the, what, what was the other one? Uh, Number one, The Living Wake. Mike O'Connell created a masterpiece. It is poetic, comedic gold. Accept the invitation into this strange universe and embrace the absurdity. Enjoy the ride, and then go watch our episode about the Living Wake with uh, interview with the writer star Mike O'Connell. And if anyone's seen my baby bird, please let me know. <laughs> Have you seen my baby bird? That is the eleven uh, comedies that you probably don't know about, 
but good. Boom! Alright, let's move on to seven minutes in heaven. These are our favorite scenes. This this is like one long scene in this is. movie that just takes place. Stop in looking at my scene, peeping it by. You're, no, you know. No. So, with that being said, one of my first favorite scenes of this first uh, movie was the fact that, and I guess sometimes you can watch a movie and be like, yeah, I watched it, but when you really look back at all these notes, like, oh, shit, this was. I almost have to go back and watch it again now without having to take the notes and stuff, but. Right off the bat, what let me know I was into another world when Dennis's character from Always Sunny comes like at the they're setting up his character. And it's one of the times that they let his character go way out, almost like I felt like it was written for Chad, but he did it. It's at the beginning to where he's walking to his car. He sees two beautiful women parked, but there's a bad. It's like, OK, look, there's like a BMW Benz. Then there's his car. He's uh, walking to his piece of car he sees the two chicks he veers towards the bins and tries to act like it is and leans on it all of a sudden you hear <laughs> the chicks are like, like i used to have one of those and he just gets in his car like dude yeah, that, what do you do you just accept defeat at that point you oh my have... god like, bro that had to happen to somebody like what are you doing man that Go was ahead. that was a perfectly timed scene yes <laughs> yes, yes um when will holds the door for the customers oh, yeah. and they go in in front of him and they have this long order, and and when he walks in, like his, that he's so good at at, at doing those, like oh what the, oh this is happening, like like you know the just that he, he the the responsiveness to to bullshit happening is so perfect on Glenn Howerton, and ha um, remember uh, they'll find out later that actually happened to the director. They'll find out later. Tease. Yes, by a big name. Ow. Uh, yeah. So, um, but yeah, that then of course they've got a long ass order on top of it. So these people go in. They, he holds the door for them. So he should have had the first place in line. They take his place in line, and they have a long ass order. And you got fucking Sam Josh Groban like being a rock star, battling. All right, let's get this. Let's get this. He's like, leave room for, uh, for, and Will chimes in like, just leave room. And they can decide what the room is for. Yeah, like, like they just want, like my my thing was though. To me, that was also a play. Again, they'll find this out later when we talk to Brad. It was kind of like, of course, but Brad uh, dropped out from the University of Florida. Shout out to all the dropouts who became something in life. Love it. Um, but it's almost to me that whole Southern hospitality versus Northern thing. Like I, I felt like every guy that walked in that door in the film was like a uh, New Yorker, and that's mm -hmm. how I would feel. Me being from Florida, I would hold the door, be like, didn't you just? I thought yeah. you should. I, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, you already touched on the non-sleeping roommate, which I love. But I, to me, uh, even if this conversation would have been, if this movie would have came out, this is one of the times where I would have thought that nobody associated with the L, the G, the B, the T, or the Q community would have had a problem. The way Chad cleverly, whoever wrote this dialogue about the gay, straight, homo, like he literally out of nowhere, three three allegedly straight guys are sitting, I feel like I'm telling a bad joke, three straight guys are sitting at a bar. But then Chad says, hey, you know what, like he makes it seem like being... You know what? Being gay is actually being straight. What's sex more sexier than being with a guy for the most part? And they were like, uh, being with a girl? Like, what's, what's more straight yeah, more than more straight, shoving yeah. it in a guy's ass? That's straight. <laughs> and he tries to like, like, like it manly. Straight. And then after they disagree with him, he was like, you guys are homophobes. Like, oh, I want to be a girl. I want to be with a girl. Right. Like, how are you really trying? Like, he takes the worst ideas like segregation right. Right. or straight is gay and acts and 
leans into it and really tries to but sell. But in true gay form, in the spirit of gayness, he then double double reverses after they are they don't agree with him. He 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 basically shames them. You guys yeah. are homophobes, like like uh, homos, like, like huh? Yeah, How do we get back here? That's like How that do we... moment where he's like, uh, you know, I think we should all be able to say that. Talking about the R word, and yeah. it was like, uh, yeah, I agree. I think you should be able to say it. Like what? Well, and they kept playing with this tie and stuff, like he was, a, was just like a character of himself. It's crazy. Um, Did I spell that right? Dick pick on the cup. Had to do it. Honorable mention. Go ahead. The whole scene where uh, Will goes to ask Becca out from when Ch- when Chino pushes him into her, he goes over there. But then With he's, the he's completely thrown off. Where he goes, he ends up. He's Will's just staring at her, and Chino's like, "Don't look at her. You look like a serial killer." And then so he he's like, "Look at your laptop." No, no, he turns and looks at him. He's like, "Don't look at me in the eyes. Why would you do that? That's so weird. Look at your computer." Not your cl- open your laptop. Why would you look at a closed laptop? Like he is so beautiful, thrown off. And then it cuts right outside to that scene with Chad with the Newports outside. Um, and then it goes into uh, uh, Sam inviting uh, Re- uh, Becca to the show where he's like, um, Stay for you, Stay for you. <laughs> no, and he cuts himself off in the middle of singing to her, like, and projects the rejection that he's feeling from her. I stood for you. I stood for me. No. <laughs> that whole, yeah, the whole, and again, in any movie, that would be like four or five scenes, but the way it, it transitions from one moment to another in this, it's like a series of, of the best SNL sketches all stitched together in the one location. Gino, the only man to successfully get this line out and not have someone bat an eye. They're sitting there, they're talking about sex and how sex can get rough and things go bad. And he's like, hey, man, if you do something like that, they're going to associate you with rape and not the good kind. Yeah. <laughs> what? Come again? I think Law & Order SVU has something to say about that. Doom, doom. Like, what the f*** did you just say? I'm going to rewind. You want to be associated with rape and not the good kind. Like, what the f*** are you talking about? I, I think the good kind would be... Uh... Why, don't no, don't no, uh, no, don't um, don't don't go down see, that winding we're, road. We're gonna f- around and that do the opposite road. of what the point of the, the point of this episode is to get people to, to appreciate join. Coffee Town, not get Coffee Town canceled. Oh, well, I listen! If I'm watching this episode, I'm putting it in right now. Like all the things we love about it that we're talking about are the things that will get it canceled. In if we send out a, if we send out an email blast to the LGBTQ Black Panthers, uh, the Proud Boys, KKK, and uh, the Reading Rainbow Crew, uh, literally, I mean not, that's not a like a a sexual point. I literally mean anybody who still watches Reading Rainbow. Then we should be fine. All of them should hate this show, but they're going to talk about how much they hate it. And there are our subscribers. Yeah, yeah. All right. The um, another favorite scene that I had is the the rad BMX freestyle on ecstasy. Send me an angel montage in the club. Um, the whole the, the what was so great about that one. It was jarring. It just came out of nowhere. You have this 80s style BMX montage in the middle of this club movie that never suggests that this is going to happen. But the punchline is so fantastic when it cuts to reality and it just shows them dancing like sweaty slobs. And the the contrast between what their ecstasy-addled minds is interpreting the situation as to what is actually happening. And it reminded me of, um, it goes back to Always Sunny, there's a high school reunion episode where they they put on this amazing, the gang puts on this amazing performance to George Michael's Freedom, and 
it shows this whole thing and that they got their height their old high school uh everybody in their high school and the reunion is just going crazy for them like oh my god it's this is amazing and they're winning them over and at the end of the song it cuts to reality of what has actually been happening the whole time and it's just them sweatily slopping across the stage and mac is fat and just ridiculous and uh it reminded me of that i thought it was a great moment and then of course it goes from 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 that the bmx uh freestyle montage into um uh well no in the club when he takes the ecstasy you Ah. got you get the punchline of what um where he's like you know that guy has aids right and the guy that was just making out with him was like can't get it twice yeah you know what i can't even let you do it that way because again i think that uh this was that was my scene too but not from that perspective i'm just like the same the scene my one of my number two scene was the same it was almost my number one but the one that came after after that just took the cake. But as far as that scene, what I'm looking at, I'm looking at a different perspective. What I saw, and this is what makes movies and film and art beautiful, is that two people who love film and craft can see the same thing. But as you were focused on that, and don't get me wrong, I think they did a very good job of it. If, if you've never taken ecstasy, I wouldn't know what it's like. But if you've never taken it or you and you wanted to, the best way to tell a kid or an adult if you've never taken it what ecstasy would like. Like imagine if you had been watching this movie, you were in a club and all of a sudden a fucking BMX battle broke out in a club with people who are non-BMXers standing around watching it. Like there, mm-hmm. there's no reason this should be happening. I assume that's what it would be like. But however... I couldn't even get into that because prior to that, I was wondering, I'm like, okay, at first I thought the guy walking around kissing the girls was a kissing coach. I'm like, maybe that's what they do. I knew he wasn't with the girls. Mm-hmm. And then when and when Becca tells him, like, oh, no, that's not my guy. No, I was just doing ecstasy. And she was like, I was like, okay, which is kind of f***ed up because we find out later she's a trauma nurse, but whatever. She's doing ecstasy or whatever. So oh, nurses she, are And crazy. then all of a sudden she's like, you want to do it with me? I'm like, oh, so she probably has been doing it for about 10 to 15 minutes now because everything seems to seem like a good idea. So immediately he's like, uh, no, which I love. Like, that's the response problem. Like, uh, no, I don't. I'm more of a heroin guy. I try to play it off. Something yeah. I would have said. Just kind of joking out. True, a little Kurt Cobain true. Right, right. And then, and, then she was, and then she was like, no, I want you to try. And before he could even say no again, like, she's bringing him to the guy. And the guy was like, okay. And, and this, and like, listen. Peer pressure should be stopped at a certain point in life. All I'm saying is, is I don't care how Beyonce could be standing next to me and and somebody could be like, dude, just take the ecstasy off this guy's tongue and you can do whatever you want to do to Queen B for the rest of your life. I'm telling you, I won't know what Queen B's inside honey looks like, because what I'm trying to tell you is when he kissed the other dude. Now, don't get me wrong. Uh, listen, Dennis, the golden God was completely against it. he was pushed into it but what did i say the guy kisses him and i mean he didn't kiss him like he kissed the girl he tongue kisses the shit out of him <laughs> for at least 35 seconds and then what does he say after he's like you didn't give me anything he was like i know you totally fell for it you totally fell for it and then he gives it to him like that it, dude, and, and like you say to follow it up the the, the cliffhanger was when the, the the roommate walks by and says the callback three different callbacks the roommate that got put out comes out and says uh you know that guy has AIDS, and then he says, can't get it twice, which is the f***ed up part about it, meaning that you're walking around kissing people, and you have AIDS. They, no, this is the most brilliant job of talking about AIDS education without saying it that's ever been done. Yeah, I'm here to say that. 100% agree. Yeah, that, that, was, uh, yeah, that, was, that was amazing. <laughs> Gosh. And, and I absolutely can attest to the fact that you do not cave to peer pressure because... 
because I guarantee you're still going to wear X after today. <laughs> Next comment. <laughs> My favorite scene is the uh, the robbery. And, I mean, it's such it's hard to pick a best scene, but this scene, this if there was ever a climax for a comedy filled with hilarious moments, because usually when you get to the closing of a movie, they've, they've stopped telling jokes. They're just trying to wrap up the story at this point. Not this one. They, they're like, all right, you remember all the jokes we told you throughout this whole movie? Well, get ready because we're about to put them all on steroids and give them to you. You get, first of all, the, like you said, the homeless man in the bed where he takes him back to the bed. Then he comes back to find out that Chad only brought one fucking ski mask. He brought him a sock. And then, punchline, he's like, he notices that Chad only has one sock on. He's like, wait a second. You had this on your foot? Well, I was wearing it all day and stretch. You had it on all day? Like, after all, but what was the most thing he was most upset about? The, the no mouth hole? Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, speaking of understanding people when they're talking, then he pulls out, well, we had to get the Spider-Man walkie-talkies, so you got Gino on the other end sounding like f***ing <laughs> Green Goblin, like, why aren't you guys answering? <laughs> and then, and then the Will's like, why don't we just use our cell phones? Bring, bring. Yeah, this is way, way better. better. <laughs> like, um, and then you have, right after that, you have them chasing each other through the tar, which is just tried and true classic comedy, like a high-speed chase on foot, stuck on a tar roof, like, and then both just trying to get to each other. Then they find Sam trying to rob the place, and, uh, and of course, you have the savior with Down Syndrome that comes up at the end, and, oh, again, uh, like, to let you know, these jokes in the middle of the movie are not for nothing. They are coming back. But that's, no, but don't, don't run past that part, because that's what made it beautiful. If you're going to, again, that's the beautiful part of comedy. You don't just laugh at it, you learn something from it. And what I learned from that, and I'm happy that's your number one scene. One one last thing, I'm sorry. The, uh, the, the beautiful thing about that entire scene is that he gets back to his apartment to find that he was robbed while he was trying to stage a robbery. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, that was just, that was, is poetic. And I want you to finish that point. And I was going to put in a quick point and say that they, as much as even the worst person would say, I can't believe they're making fun of someone with Down syndrome. He was the one that saved their ass at the end. and lets you know they're not idiots. They're not mm -hmm. dummies. They have intelligence. And he even winked at them. This is not a mistake. Yeah, that was, that was a great thing about this movie. And we kind of get into it with Brad too, about how it doesn't, it's, it's respectful towards, even as disrespectful as the jokes are, mm -hmm. it is still it approaches like like the the female lead. She's not just there as a prop to look at. Mm -hmm. She has she carries her weight in comedic gold just as much as anybody else. She's, and the, she she just didn't jump on the dick. Like they were getting ready to fuck and she was on ecstasy and she a fucking laptop burn, which makes sense because she is a nurse. Mm -hmm. she, she's like, oh, I haven't seen way too much. And she gets out of there. And they don't just throw someone with Down syndrome in the middle of the movie to right. make fun of them. If We've anything, them. it's reversed. But because he comes out the bathroom again, he was like, he's like, the like, wait a minute, I just got called by a person with Down syndrome. What the does that say about me? Yeah. So I, I, I agree with you on that. Now, for me, like I said, I was gonna. You have to ask yourself real quick. And so we're gonna end this segment. What really in this insect seven minutes in heaven? I, this might to be honest with you. I've had a lot of scenes and uh, top scenes this season, but I'm gonna, not going to lie to you. I didn't see this coming. I think that this scene right here for me, so far this season, it may wind up being when we choose our best uh, number one scenes for the whole season. This may do it for me. So you may just be able to record this and say it. Let me tell you something. 
it's hard to try to top a guy kissing a guy to get ecstasy and not even get, and then him handing handing him ecstasy and then ending that with an AIDS callback. Like there's literally there should be nothing to top that in this world. I'm wrapping up the film. I got all my notes. I'm good. This is nowhere in my book at the time. And I'm watching because I like for stuff to be wrapped up. And I'll agree with you 100%. This film did not do what, like I said, we love Office Space, but even Office Space didn't end telling jokes. Mm -hmm. A lot of our favorite comedies don't end in jokes. They have to wrap it up for the industry or the network or whatever. But for this, he's laying in the bed after everything that's happened. And he gets shot. They don't even really explain him getting shot, but his, him getting shot is a callback earlier to uh, the guy saying, I didn't fill out the report. So in your mind, if you're a, a dark comic, you're like, it's probably the same motherfucker that did the first round or that neighborhood itself. And that was the fucked up part about it, ironically, is that because he was trying to get a police report for a bad neighborhood, the neighborhood apparently is already fucking bad. Yeah. And they even interwove that with the joke you told, where I'm holding the door for you fuckers, but no, I'm standing up for myself today. Well, that's why you got shot. Even when you stand up, you get up. Mm -hmm. He's laying in the bed and mother fucking Gino comes in there. He was like, hey, you know that little, you know that fucker that shot you? <laughs> we caught him and we unloaded in this motherfucker. We were like, da -da 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 -da. so that's for you. And, I, and, and, and like, and then before I can even laugh at the shit, before I can even just really like, dude, what the fuck did you just say? That's when the lead character simply looks at him and said, "No, I don't. I don't. I don't think that was it. I, yeah, I think it was an older, was, older Latino like, person. Yeah. yeah, person. So, and it, 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 right. And so to me, they, they, they. This is why I'm gonna go and just tell you. I really f with this movie. I'm gonna tell you that right now because this is the first movie that I ever seen that successfully uh, got me to laugh at police brutality, racism, uh, AIDS, homelessness, and depression all in one movie." Yeah, true. Coffee Town. Yeah, <laughs> man. And that that I, I have to mention in that same scene, I loved again. It, this is the end of the movie, yes. and they're still bantering like they're trying to sell us at the first act and tell right. let us know this is going to be a great movie. Right. The the like, what'd you see? Uh, I saw a hallway. Ooh, you think that was heaven? Oh, that'd be terrible architecture. I think, it might, what if it was hell? Why do you keep going back to 50 feet? Like, I feel like that's enough time to anticipate what's behind the door. And what's behind the door? The devil. Stop it. Stop it. <laughs> Again, they start. They end on the same note they started on. And guys, that's our seven minutes in heaven. But to be honest with you, this is the one time we'll probably change the segment to 70 minutes in heaven. Because, hey, listen, that's where it's at, guys. All right, it is time for Scene Stealers. Yes, yes, yes. These are yes. our favorite actors, actresses, artists in the film. Uh, quick recap before we get into Coffee, our, our favorite actor in Coffee Town. Uh, episode one, we did Black Panther. We got Okoye. Episode two, Tenet, Robert Pattinson. Episode three, The Living Wake. We put Mike O'Connell on the board. Episode four, Rounders. We got Matt Damon. Episode 5, Paid in Full, Woods Harris. Episode 6, Us, Lapita. And episode 7, V for Vendetta, Natalie Portman made it on the board. Natalie. Who is going on the board for Coffee Town? Coffee Town. Listen, when you talk about a film that has so many integral characters who 
make you laugh, who, you know, make you pause, make you cringe and do all these things. In a film like this, truly, they're... There, a lot of people feel like there should be no winners or losers, and there truly are no losers in this category. Like, the artists in this film, I really love it. I, th I feel like, if anything, the writing shined more than anything in this film. As, as, as good as the acting was in the mm -hmm. film, I don't think there's, there's no Oscar performances or anything like that, but as far as, it's because there's not that type of film to yield that, but as far as the, the film itself, it was such good writing that you know, I felt like that was, was more on display than anything else. So, with that being said, for me, on the board, I would like to nominate and bring up and tell you that I think this is one of the first times I've done this to where this person, I'm just going to go ahead and say it because I don't want to foreshadow, uh, Mr. Steve, uh, Mr. Uh, Stephen Little. Oh, so you're putting Chad up there. Yeah, That's... no, I'm not putting Chad up there. Chad is up there. So for me, this is my thing. Um, right off the bat, we don't meet him right away. So I'm looking at the time. Now, don't get me wrong. You're at least in 80% of the film. However, there is never indicated that you're the main character. You do such a good job of just being yourself. It's not like you're trying to beg for screen time. You're not trying to over-insert yourself in the scenes. It's more so sometimes when I'm watching the actual film and you're not in the scene, I want to know what the hell is Chad doing. Mm -hmm. So for me in this film, like I said, I love Dennis's character. Again, we call him Dennis because we always say we, we love him or whatever. But uh, for me... With between Gino and everybody else, all everybody that really brought something to this film to me, it was Mr. Little because to me, it wasn't him just, it's not slapstick comedy. It really shows that he took comedy as a craft. And it's comedy is timing. Comedy is facial expression. Comedy is being able to get beat up by a guy having Down syndrome, but still have the wherewithal to fight this guy. And so for me, like I say, and for me to even nominate him to put them on this board with all these other people we've had shows you how much I revere him. Like I literally, I was 25 minutes in and I'm like, oh yeah, he's him for me. Mm -hmm. Because he was so committed. Like, like I just told you, they talked to him for a good 10 to 15 minutes, which in screen time is an hour and a half, about not... We were taking nothing. He was like, well, Newports are expensive. Like, he kept coming up with every reason why that he should take something. They kept trying to say, no, if you don't take anything. Like he said, if you take something, I'm going to f***ing kill you or some shit. Like, like, yeah. so, so to me, yeah. Chad really was the guy, like I say, from bringing the sock. Like, like, like He was like, well, I got me a mask. I didn't get you one. Even... Because you can tell, even when they were foreshadowing earlier, that's how Chad envisioned them robbing the place with them doing the little flips hey, on I the roof. I didn't throw my iPad up at Kanye West to go jogging. Right. Oh, and then he that, said... Oh, this is one with Rihanna. That actually is for jogging. Right. And then right with them going to think, that was eight, I had eight mile. And like, what are you doing? You do, like, 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 he was so... You got to live in the moment. Like, so for me, Mr. Little, hey, listen, I am going to... I'm going to... I hope I can pull my veto card to put you up here. Um, but I, I think I'm losing... I'm fighting a losing battle here. But for you, sir, you did it for me. I will definitely agree because uh, Steve Little is on my honorable mentions and because he walks that line perfectly of like, he gets right to the line of being too absurd, too stupid. I'm the number one civil rights person. <laughs> like he says that and he truly believes yeah, it. He passionately believes everything he's saying, all the ridiculousness. Um He's definitely a strong honorable mention. Of course, uh, I didn't put Ben Schwartz on here, but uh, Gino, he's hes a very strong character. But these people had their competition with the other actors. They, there was The competition was strong as far as who was the, the one that shines the most. I, I, Josh Groban is my other honorable mention as Sam because 
it's just impressive when that is, he is not an actor he is a singer and when somebody when somebody switches crafts like that and proves that they are like a multifaceted talent and it, like he he didn't just step into acting as like a bit part his character was really funny and he brought a lot to it in just just his facial expressions like so much was said when that tip was dropped and it stops him in his tracks mid sentence like and the heartbreak that comes on his face without any words spoken. But not just heartbreak, but heartbreak that that makes you want to laugh at it. So there's a lot of talent there with uh, Grobin. And uh, I love him in Always Sunny with uh, his little cameo in there. Um, but I have to give my... I have to put Glenn Howerton on the board as well. Because one, kind of like your argument for Natalie Portman, while there was other strong actors in this at the end of the day Glenn Howerton is the one that's kind of holding everything together keeping the story going from point A to point B to C uh, and he's not just your average straight guy um, like your straight We're character straight. Uh, <laughs> character straight not, okay. not sexual orientation not Chad, no, I'm talking about Chad what's more straighter than okay he is uh, he manages to like be the wall for everybody else's jokes to bounce off of and be responsive to. But at the same time, he has his own, like, like the way I said, the way he responds to things is so funny in itself where he doesn't actually have to be telling a joke with a punchline. It's just all in his, the reaction that he has to what's going on around him. And, um, I couldn't imagine anybody playing that as well as he did. Um, I have to give it to Glenn Howerton so we got Glenn Howerton, we got Steve Little. It is a very, very difficult choice, but um, it is a very difficult choice, and I don't want to back down from 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 Stephen. I really don't. I I really do not. I I, I, I want to say this again. I truly do not. We we got to flip a coin on this one, man. Well, I don't have a. Oh, here we go. All right. I don't want to back down. We got to flip the coin, guys. All right. So, head uh, Steve. Steve would want tails. Yeah, he would. <laughs> Hear me out. <laughs> um, all right, so Steve Little is uh, tails, and Glenn Howerton is heads. And these, uh, this is so scientific. It uh, is. <laughs> Glenn Howerton, it is. Man, you. Uh, why do you? Why, why do you play poker? Because you, it, the odds never seem to be in your favor. Why don't things. you play poker? Because the odds always seem to be in your favor. Touche. Touche. Yes. I think yeah, okay. and that's why you can't choose Team Joe. So congratulations to Glenn Howerton. You are officially the Golden God. Yes. Get up there on the motherfucking board. <laughs> All right, that concludes Scene Stealers. Let us know who you thought was the funniest person in this movie because we know that everybody is funny. So who is your favorite character? Let us know in the comments, and uh, let's move on to. You're gonna need a bigger boat. So this movie is littered with uh, one hilarious line after another. Like, there's no throwaway dialogue in this movie. If they're saying something, it is for the purpose of either setting up a joke or hitting a joke out of the park. Everything, like, everything is gold in this, but... Uh, Not I, even buts. Jump into it. No, I'm yeah, going to steal it. One, two, three, four. I've narrowed it down to five quotes that I really loved. Five? Yeah. Go. First one is Jake Johnson, where he busts in. I have f***ing AIDS! Out of nowhere. 
my first one. <laughs> so yeah, we're we're on the same page. Like like we said, but it but again, you have to be careful with that because again, if somebody you can turn so many people off from that for two different reasons. Obviously, you're saying AIDS, which is not going to turn me off. But if you're just using it as a punchline, then I'm definitely pissed because that's not artistic. So we both were like the way they said they made it seem so minuscule at first, but it plays so much in the film. To me, uh, one of the scenes, uh, the, the one of the quotes that really got me is when they're. He's explaining to you the coffee shop decor, like if you don't get there early. So his friend sees him. He's like, "Man, you didn't get one of the, the tables." He was like, "No, nah, I didn't get here early enough." He was like, "What, what about the uh, the retired people?" Like, no, nah, it's reserved, motherfucking lucky bastards. I'm like, "Oh, oh yeah, my gosh!" The handicap people. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Oh my god!" He's like, "You lucky bastards." That's why this movie is so funny because I've had those thoughts when I'm like looking for the parking spot. I'm like, oh man, how nice would it be to be handicapped right now? Like they say the things that we think, and yes. it's yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of saying the things that you're thinking, my next quote is a is something that Will is only thinking about saying in his head in response to Gino telling him to hit on Becca while she's in her uh, workout gear, her her tights. Um, in his mind, he imagines how that would go, because uh, you, know, you can't hit on a girl when she's when she's scantily clad like this. Um, so in his mind, he walks up to her says, hey, I could not help but notice your body being displayed and was wondering if I could have sex with it. Like, totally objectifying. That's her. every misogynistic man out there, and I don't, wouldn't know what that's like, but that's every misogynistic man out there. Uh, I, one of the top three quotes from the movies for me was when he likened the cigarette. He said, uh, kind of cigarettes are pretty much the same. I'm, he's like, no, because you can't take, turn a cigarette out inside out and smoke it again. Are you doing that with condoms? I will loan you condoms. I will, right. I will give you condoms. Like, he was really doing this shit. It's <laughs> with me, man. I'm sorry. You see, Chad, man, go ahead. Yeah, and he's probably doing it up a guy's ass, too. Because he that's so straight. straight. That, that, that's my next quote, actually. You want, Chad, you want to be straight? Shove it up a guy's ass. That's straight. Like, Chad, man. He believed it, too. He really believed it. Uh, um... I just want to know, like, did they sit around and think for Chad, like, all right, what are some of the worst ideas? All right, let's make a list of the worst possible pitches, and then now let's have Chad try to sell them as good ideas passionately. Like, I mean, I don't even have to say this. Like, I mean, when, uh... Now that's straight. I, I have to read this to get it right. It's, it literally says, one teaspoon equals an entire load. Less is more. Featuring less is more. How do we get more porn and porn? Midget porn. You know, like, dude. That. that almost was, that, I, I almost wrote that down, but it was too damn much to write. I, I, like yes, yeah, I had like little else. layers of it. I had layers of it. Um, my next one is, uh, I've had my eye on that. I've had my eye on one of those hoodies, Chad. Well, he goes, do you know what robbing is? He's like, yeah, charging $35 for a hoodie. Perfect. Per very perfect. Very perfect. Because uh, that, that is my rationale. Like when I when I go through the self-checkout line at Walmart and I maybe forget to ring something up and I just move along accidentally, in my mind I'm like, I, the markup price on the shit that I did pay for should more pay for than pay for the... Yeah. Because if, if the crime truly is taking, why am I here? Shouldn't Walmart be in, uh, in court before me? Yeah. I, I get it. But they're going to get you if you keep doing this. Shit. So with that being said, uh, 
Uh, this is one of those lines that it is a, if some people wouldn't get it or wouldn't see it because it was for, it actually came from the coffee shop manager who really didn't have that many scenes. When he's trying to explain about how hip and cool the coffee story is, he says, oh, <laughs> and this is my coffee wife. I mean, not like I've had sex with her. I mean, not like you don't deserve it. And they, I'm just like, that what was, the f***? That was such an office space moment. Like the the boss that is not uh, that is just blind to the fact that he is sexually harassing somebody. But in front of the people trying to buy them out, because this is our culture. That's how blind he is. To uh, Jesus, man. Yeah, that was that was those those are my quotes, man. My last one is uh, Chad again. I didn't load up my iPad with Kanye to go jogging. There's just there's so much said in that line about Chad because I, I am a Kanye West fan, and I know that like. Like that is not, that's not hard. That's mm. not streets. Mm. Like Kanye is, Con, uh, I would consider Kanye West to be uh, hip hop vanilla. <laughs> like hip hop for, it, it, it's. Uh, it, I'm not saying he's not the best. He's not the greatest. I obviously think he is, but I'm also. When white. you think of hip hop, you don't think of Kanye West first. Yeah, like when I'm gonna, if I was gonna go rob a place, like that's not gangster Which, rap. Right, but you there. heard him say he was going to put on eight mile as well. Yeah, but Kanye was his go-to. He loaded really his was. iPad up with Kanye, Speak- and that says a lot about his character. It really does. I, th- I thought I didn't have any more, but with same character. Like I said, you can see why I chose Chad when he he looks. I, I believe he looks at a motherfucker. Says he says, "This is not a fucking fashion show, motherfucker." Like, like when I like, oh my gosh, like yeah. just like he's, he's in character. He's, he's so in character, whatever, man. Whatever ill ill-decided direction he he chooses to go in he commits to it 100 percent. no questions asked i mean he's got the newports he's got the kanye this is a fashion show motherfucker. uh for for me uh, but my favorite quote of the film and to me i I spoke about it earlier and and it's not it's like i said it's not a it's not a joke or anything it's not a comedy is when the guy with down syndrome at the end says i wanted my chocolate milk because at that point it shows number one he doesn't have a lot of friends number two he uh he's just happy these guys were even willing to even hang with him because they've been hanging with them all day he just wants somebody to hang with and even then he is innately he's still smart he may not have all the motor skills and the function as we do but here's the up part we do have motor skills and we do function and we do a lot of people are faster we're better coordinated oh yeah the regular people versus down syndrome championship of the world and one thing you didn't bring up earlier the guy that punched him in the chat in should have punched the other two motherfuckers too because they're sitting there just getting off on this and it was their idea and then come to find out in our interview with brad the whole crew and, and the rest of the cast was on the other side of the camera. Cringing. Also, yeah, I would, Some. Yeah, if they're involved with this movie, I'd say they're probably like... Go. That, this go. is gold, Jerry. Gold, baby. Go. It's gold, Jerry. Go. You want to go to Mindy's? <laughs> and, uh, it's the with, best. With that being said, let's get right into that interview with Brad Copeland, writer-director. Alright, we are joined today by one of TV's funniest writers and producers. If you are a fan of laughing at your television, you have most certainly seen his name. Brad Copeland has worked on Arrested Development, My Name is Earl, The Inbetweeners, and Life in Pieces, as well as wrote and directed the film of this episode, Coffee Town. I discovered Coffee Town because I'm a huge uh, Always Sunny fan, and um, just 10 episodes every 365 days is not nearly enough time uh, <laughs> for Glenn Howerton to be in my life. So I was I was desperate to find something else that he was in, and that led me to Coffee Town. And I swear within 
five the first five minutes of the movie, I didn't care if, if Glenn Howerton died, and it was he was no longer in. It was just such a all the characters in it are so great, um, perfectly nuanced characters. The writing's fresh and quirky. I mean, the jokes are like it's like a joke every thirty you seconds. Can't keep up. It's you insane. Can't keep up. Um, and every joke is fresh and quirky and you get that like what I love about coffee town is that you don't there there's a lot of times where like the the joke about AIDS uh, that that comes back like it's not just a joke for a joke about AIDS he uses that as a device to get the next roommate out and mm-hmm. then kind of like the jokes surrounding um, Down syndrome that comes where, where you oh, know at, at the robbery full circle. Uh, all, all the way to the, the the one of the most hilarious moments when he's when he lets people in when Will lets people in the uh, in the door before him and they cut him in line and he makes the choice later <laughs> on to, to to not put up with that shit anymore and ends up getting shot so like the jokes aren't even just just rapid fire jokes for the sake of being funny they come back again and Call pay that. off. Um, so it's just so excellently written. It reminded me of of Office Space the way you can you have like a a finger so on such unique nuances about different people that like we all know in some way and that's what's so funny about it um so yeah i mean i i could just keep going so where where did the i know you said that that was kind of like a a hodgepodge of different things that you were thinking of and and just you know put in put like a frankenstein of ideas that you've had throughout the years but um like, wh- how did you flesh that out? Like, where did the idea in general come from? Um, it was like a decade of, yeah, little ideas that had been, you know, the, the concept existed from the moment I saw people on their laptops in <clears throat> Starbucks. I was like, oh, I want to tell that story. So then when you have the concept in your head, I just started gathering pieces year after year and kind of writing them down in a little spiral notebook. Like, for instance, the holding the door open happened. Uh, it, was actually, it was actually Ashton Kutcher. I was at a Starbucks here in Sherman Oaks and I opened the door. Uh, so Ashton was behind me and I opened the door. I'm like, Hey man, and I don't know him or whatever. And he just like, he's like, Oh, thanks. And he like walked in. I was just being nice. And then he got in line. I'm like, I was clearly ahead of you. And I opened the line for you, dude. Like you should be letting me in line ahead of you. And it was just like, so that I went home and I wrote that down. You know, it's like all those little things kept adding into it. Uh, so yeah, I just started collecting all these ideas and all these concepts and then I just wrote the script. I just wrote it really fast. And I, it was the easiest front side of a project I've ever had. I gave it to my agent who was getting on a plane um, to New York. And I said, I just wrote this thing to direct. It's really small. It's a couple million dollars. And he got off the plane. He called me and he said, it's great. I gave it to Ricky Van Veen at collegehumor.com. And Ricky wants to make it. They're just they'll just fund it you don't have to go anywhere else you're done and I was like what (laughs) like I was literally thinking I was going to get uh you know he was going to catch some grammar mistakes and we were going to rewrite it for you know a month and go back and forth and then we'd go out to the town it was just all done and I literally so that script was greenlit with literally a ton of spelling errors and off the very first draft so yeah and and then we just went and there was the cast just came together really naturally um the first guy I met for the lead was actually Chris O'Dowd uh and then like he was right but not perfect and and I think there were some scheduling issues and then we heard that Glenn was interested so I sat down with Glenn and I'm like this is just perfect he's the perfect guy I always wanted Steve Little for Chad uh on my Eastbound and Down days of just like uh he's just so funny and I I, and still to this day 
I feel he is so underused. He's so funny. And it's like, he should be everywhere. And he really isn't. He just kind of just works and does his thing. Um, and then Ben, Ben was for, uh, Ben, we read uh, Schwartz. We read for the barista. And he's like, <clears throat> I don't want to play the barista. He's like, I don't want to be the guy. He's like, I want to be the cop. I'm like, what? Like the cop was going to be Damon Wayans Jr. And hit Damon Wayans had read for it and wanted to do it. Uh, and he, Ben just wanted it so bad. And I was like, well, if he wants it that bad, let's just do it. Like, and uh, so Ben became the cop. And then uh, Josh Groban reached out to be the barista. And I was like, what? Like Josh Groban, he's a singer. And they're like, well, you just, will you just meet with him? And uh, I'm like, yeah, of course. I'm Josh Groban. Who wouldn't want to like go have coffee with Josh Groban? How fun is that? And he was just the sweetest, sweetest guy in the world. And he, he was so honest. He's like, I want to do this. I'll read, like I'll, I'll, I'll audition. And I'm like, what? All right. And so him and he, we went to uh, the uh, sunny in Philadelphia offices and he read with Glenn. We did like a little chemistry read and we knew instantly, uh, even Glenn knew. He's like, this is great. Like this guy, this, like it's going to be such a great interplay. Um, so yeah, it all just came together really organically and then we just went off and then all the other little pieces there's people in there like jake johnson and matt walsh plays a cop at the end there's just people in there that are like became all these they were just all the comedy people i loved uh and they were just it was crazy they were just willing to do it like, which is still astonishing to this day <laughs> i'm like really jake that's johnson is willing to come out and play this part that's what we were going to ask we were, me and him were discussing this the other day we were like each character like you said sometimes it's a perfect mess of where the the script meets the characters and then everybody buys in. So what we, me and him were wondering, did you write with specific people in mind or did it just kind of organically happen? Or did you have the best casting director ever? Because, I mean, these guys, you see it on screen. I, I think it's a, little, it's a mixture of both. You know, we had a great casting director, Jewel Beskup, who did a bunch. Of, she did The Hangover. She did Wedding Crashes and stuff like that. And she did Life Pieces with me. Um, but uh, there were there were people that that just came out of the woodwork through the agency i think what what was really happening was the script was kind of catching fire and people really liked the idea and they liked the idea of it being this little indie cool movie and our timing was perfect because those kind of movies were getting just starting to get looked at uh for online streaming and itunes and stuff like that so yeah it really truly was a combination of both josh groban was jules she's the one that brought it up um Annie Pilecki, Adrian Pilecki was casting like they said she'd be perfect for this and I'm like if she's willing to do it it's great I love her she's in Friday Night Lights and she's the best you know so yeah it was truly a combination of both those things. That, that's one of the things I really like about this movie is most comedies in this vein the the female in it is usually just there as more like a glorified prop pretty much mm -hmm. they don't really have but she actually she had funny lines and right. and really funny moments uh, I thought that was that was that was cool. I mean, she doesn't want guys yeah. to know piss comes out of her. Let's just make that very clear. Let's make that very clear. She was actually, it's it, uh, uh, Allison Williams was, so I look at your shirt. Mr. and Mrs. Williams is based off of uh, Ricky Van Veen was the producer who founded College Humor. He was married at the time, or getting married to Allison Williams, Brian Williams' daughter. Mm -hmm. um, so Allison was on, or getting ready to go on Lena Dunham's show on HBO, whatever that was. It called Girls, I think. Um, Allison was good. If, if Annie Plecky couldn't do it, uh, Allison was going to be it. 
but that's why that's what Mr. and Mrs. Williams came from is based on Ricky and Alice Williams. Oh, very nice. Um, I knew I was in something special when, like, I think it's like 90 seconds into the movie, you have Jake Johnson running in, I have f***ing AIDS! I'm like, all right, this is a comedy, right? Because, and then it actually Thanks. successfully, like, has humor coexist with AIDS. And I never thought that was a possibility. And then Derek Waters' uh, character with his sleep condition comes shortly after the uh, this. <laughs> um, and, and then... Like, where did these, like, I know you, you had the, it seems like a lot of them come from somewhat personal experience. Um, oh my God, the, uh, you can't get it twice. Like, oh, that was it for me. That was like, it. That was it. There's so many great moments that are so pointed. Like, where did, where did these ideas come from? You know, they just, they came from my head. <laughs> I think they just came from my twisted sensibility. Some of those jokes, we had a little round table. I think that you can't get it twice came from Jimmy Vallely, who is one of the greatest writers that is in this town. Like he's probably 55, 60 now. Um, he was a writer with me on Arrested Development, but he's been, he was like a Golden Girls writer. He's been around forever. I think he pitched that joke in a little round table we had. When my, uh, when my wife and I were watching it last night, she that part came on again. She said, oh my God, I forgot about that. That is literally the most disgusting <laughs> thing ever. And I was, it's like, that's AIDS, was, that's AIDS phobic. AIDS, it, you know what, what Coffee Town kind of was, was when you're a sitcom writer, you say things in the room that are darker and funnier than could ever be on TV, you know? Um, and that's just it. I mean, I think it's that way just when you're sitting around with your friends joking and laughing, you're like, oh my God, we, no one can say what, what we just said or whatever. And Coffee Town was kind of my, my platform of saying, let's just do all those jokes. Let's like, let's have a, a fight between the Downton guy. Let's have, uh, you know, the, the, the gay rant thing, which was, I think I wouldn't even do today back then. Like, I think I would probably cringe if I watched that again. Uh, but, uh, so there were things that were so on the edge that I think they expired, frankly. I think that they, were, they probably crossed the line. I could literally feel myself turning black on the inside. <laughs> oh, that is just... <laughs> I don't think that would land. That would be a really hard thing to do right now. That would be a hard joke because everything's so, you know, uh, you know how it is. It's just really hard to, no one wants to take the risk of that kind of thing going viral. But Coffee Town existed in the last moment before things went viral. So we got to do all those things. Um, but that's also, I think, one of the reasons that you don't see Coffee Town on Netflix and things like that. I think they watch it and they're like, whoa, no way. <laughs> so. Yeah, and there's it's such a loss, too, because there's something so much more gratifying about a joke that you that you feel like you shouldn't laugh at compared to a safe joke. It's right. like you could feel a pressure valve being released when something like that happens. And man, there is so much pressure built up now that we could use that pressure yeah. relief and people I are just afraid to... Like how do we? How do you say something racist without sounding racist? Like, There's no way to do that. There's no way to do that. Uh, what I was gonna say, the, the genre I came up with it. I call it respectfully dark. And like I say, I still love to see stuff like that because again, I feel like comedians are have been stripped of being comedians nowadays. They can no longer be themselves, which completely sucks. But let me ask you this: uh, We both have directed before, and we talked about clearly the crescendo to you, your career. Now you direct Coffee Town, and like you say, it's like a I guess it's a writer's dream. Because again, you you're in the room with all these writers, but now everyone's looking at you. So you can't just write, you can't just edit, you can't just put. You're wearing all these hats. What was that experience like? It, it's 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 fun. It's really uh, 
it's it's a weird thing. There's so much pressure, and but you're so it takes so much effort to direct, as you guys know. There's so many things happening at once that you don't have time to freak out. You just have to go into the mode. I, I think like the best director advice I ever give is just like make a decision, even if it might be wrong, and then later say, oh yeah, I was wrong. Like that's better than being indecisive in the moment. So there was a lot of that where I'm like, I have no idea, but I'm going to tell you the answer to the question. Like, I know I'm right. And uh, so it, it's like, you don't have time to feel it till almost till afterwards. I think when we were wrapped in and editing, it's just like, oh, then it's a relief of like, Jesus. Um, but Coffee Town was made in 24 days. That is a short amount of time for a big yeah. movie like that. And we had a, a small budget. I think it came out to like 2.3 million or something, but that's, I mean, we built a coffee store and stuff like, so automatically you've lost 500,000 of that right off the bat, just to build the, the coffee. Wow. Town. Coffee town was just like studs, you know, it was just nothing. So to build that and to set design it and to decorate it, it's like, then you, you know, you put in the, the money we were paying the cast and all that, like all now you're down to just like $700,000. So it's like, it goes quick. Um, so what, what ended up happening was we had like two or three takes for each thing. So we couldn't read, we had to just fly. We had to fly. Um, so there was a lot of that and it, it was, it was a whirlwind. Wow. That is the opposite of my assumption when I watch it, because everything feels so organic, like especially all the dialogue in coffee town, when the three guys are just kind of, it seems like it, when I, it seems like when I watch it, I'm like, they, they had to have just a lot of time to play with these moments and, and figure out, you know, just try different things. But to know there's three takes, that's, that's great. Yeah. That kind of answers my question. I mean, with, there's so many um, hilarious mini stories happening within this movie from Ben Schwartz's misadventures as the worst cop ever, uh, <laughs> the, the, the feud between Josh Groban's character and Glenn Howerton's character is just amazing. The little nuance about the, the, the him not wanting to take the tip. Um, Makes me feel like a whore! Steve, <laughs> that, my, I think my favorite part is uh, Steve Little's character where he ends up taking up smoking to get, that's actually how I started smoking cigarettes. When I was 18, I was working at Hollywood Video and I noticed that I only got a 30 minute break, but the people that smoked got to step out whenever they needed it. And I was like, <laughs> all right, I I'm, I'm gonna, and I actually started smoking Newports and Black and Milds around that time. So that, yeah. Chad's character really smoked. We weren't friends me. back then, we weren't friends back then. Uh, <laughs> um, real but, quick question, let, let me side note, I just have to know whose idea was it to give the bomb the tall boy with the roofies? I have to know who idea that was. Say that again? Whose idea was it to give the bomb the tall boy of beer with roofies in it? Oh my God. I don't even remember. <laughs> I, that, that just took me out. I'm just telling you that, right? Like, so it's okay. Like, like you say, respectfully dark. He'll be okay. We just want to sleep for a little while. Just take some roofies and a beer. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> and it wasn't enough to hand it to him voluntarily. When it's he was. To... <laughs> I, I, I'm trying to think back. I think there was also like certain rules. Like we we could do roofies, but we couldn't do other things like to put him to sleep and stuff. Just oh like so that's why they knock it out of his hand when it actually happens. Like he he, he knocks it out of his own oh, hand. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and it's all it's all faint in my memory, but there were definitely rules. Like, yeah, definitely you couldn't show it on that. There still are. I mean, like it's it's there were so many rules that snuck up on us. Yeah. So, was, were there any like any of the moments that we see on screen or any character developments? Was any of that spawned by just so many hilarious people being together on set? 
yeah, I, I every every take was between takes. People would come up with little things like like Ben Schwartz came up to me in the first couple of days and he said, "I'm never going to eat anything, but I'm always going to have a muffin in my hand. I'm always going to be smelling it or tasting <laughs> it." But I mean, you're never, so he did. So every time he's, he's like, right. yeah, he's like sniffing it, but he never eats. He never eats anything. And that's like his quirk. Um, we came up with all of that stuff you know it was just fun and it was uh a lot of it was just goofing around between takes because it did take time to set up the shots obviously uh and then you it was just magic and you could tell the, the guys were all friends there was also like a weird thing where like a lot of them are pretty rich like like josh groban has a ton of money glenn howard has a ton of money there was like this kind of like hey you know like let's it was almost like a camp thing like no one reason i mentioned that like no one was really out there to make a living. It was more like a bunch of friends making a college film just for the sheer joy of it. Uh, and I think that that's what you see coming through is everyone kind of discovering these fun little things they got to do. And those guys are all still friends. Like they're all, all of us are, but like Ben and, and Groban and uh, Howerton and all those guys are all super tight now from that. I think it really paid off too, because like if you ever stand outside a comedy club, you have, like they are always trying to one up each other. And like with most comedies, you have the funny guy and then everybody else throwing him softballs to hit. And with yeah. this, you have so many funny people on the set. It's like they're sharpening each other every day. Mm -hmm. And you could tell on the screen, like they oh, are like, I can't, I, we are going to pick a favorite character in this episode, yes, but <laughs> it is really, really difficult to, I can't, I like even the, even the people that have a second, like the guy that comes in and starts singing happy birthday behind them. Like, uh, get out of here. Get you, out of here. You know better than that. Like everybody shines. Yeah. By the way, that's, that's Josh singing when he actually hits the big note. That's Josh Groban singing. We dubbed wow. it. See, see, I gotta go back and watch that part again. I <laughs> always, oh, whatever. I'm like that's, actually, that's Josh, like, and then we put it in the guy's mouth because the funny thing we told Josh, we're like, you're in this movie, but you're gonna sing terribly, which he does, except the one moment where it's someone else singing, then it's your voice. <laughs> That is insane. Uh, one of the things that I think we've been spoiled with in film nowadays, especially with Marvel, uh, Easter eggs. Like there's like 30, 40 Easter eggs. People are looking for things of that nature. Now, of course, we found a, uh, an Easter egg in Coffee Town. Of course, as there was a mention and a reference to, of course, Life and Life and Pieces. Flip what? that. Life and Pieces reference Coffee Town. I'm sorry. You know what I mean. I'm sorry. Okay. Hey, listen. What's in that water? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, yes. Yes. So Life and Pieces, uh, of course, reference Coffee Town. Was that your doing, or did someone just do it as a nod to you? Or how, how did that work out? It was 100% me. I was the <laughs> my closest friends in the world just now that created that show. And uh, yeah, we just got to an episode where we needed a coffee store. I'm like, he's Coffee Town. He's like, well, I'm like, yeah, I'll get the rights. You know, whatever. It's just, I just call Ricky. Um, you know, the cool thing was we already had all the art. You know what I mean? It's like, it costs money to design that stuff. Um, and I'm like, I'll just get the JPEG of the Coffee Town emblem and we'll just print that up instead of having to come up with a new one. It'll save you a day. Um, but it was really sweet. So when we shot that scene, seeing Colin Hanks and everybody in the Coffee Town stuff was truly, because that was just a few years ago. It was like a little memory lane kind of thing. And I sent the picture to Howerton and all those guys. And they're like, ah, everyone. It was like, it's like, a, it's like the Lord of the Rings guys all getting their tattoos when they, you know, it's like they look back at that time as like the time that forged them as people or whatever. It really does feel like Coffee Town was this moment in time that can't, exist again and will never be allowed to exist like no one will ever be allowed to do the things we did uh right. so 
Yeah, it was, it's neat, but that was truly, truly a nod to that. And a few people caught it. The Coffee Towns, it has a weird cult following, a very good cult following, but not as wide as you would think. And uh, so the people that did see it uh, went wild and stuff, but it was, uh, the other people were like, what are you talking about? What is Coffee Town? Did you have a favorite memory from the production, whether it was on screen, off screen with someone? I think we, we shot the, my favorite memory is we shot the uh, outside nighttime stuff at the very end. Um, and it was so cold because uh, we shot, this is in, uh, up in the high desert, we shot, shot this movie uh, in Palmdale. And it was truly like everyone was just punch drunk and weird and funny. And we had Matt Walsh there. We had the whole cast, plus Matt Walsh was playing a cop. Um, and that was like the greatest, weirdest ending of any movie. Like we were just out of it and having so much fun. People were doubling over laughter. There was, there was a scene where um, Glenn goes up the ladder on the side of a building to get to the roof where he, his feet stick in or whatever. So the stunt, not even this, we didn't have a stunt guy, but just like the props guy, he's like, I'm gonna show you how to go up this ladder. He starts going up the ladder and the ladder comes off the side of the building. <laughs> like going like this and i'm like thank god like he was okay and he fell but he was okay but i'm like thank god that wasn't glenn like like if you hadn't gone up like stuff so all of that just became this crazy whirlwind i also think the uh another highlight is the fight between ponce who the down syndrome actor and uh chad uh steve little and i told ponce ponce was the sweetest funniest nicest guy uh I said, and he's like, what do I do? I'm like, just beat him up. Like, just go for it. <laughs> just jump all over. We're going to have three cameras running. And so there's a scene where he like jumps and he just kind of belly flops on him. Ponce really does that. Like he really flattens Steve Little in a few spots and stuff. And it was all, all the cast was doing it. Uh, like the cast was there. They weren't, you know, only a few people were in that shot, but in there, you could tell the crew and everybody that was standing around was like, I can't believe we're doing this. Like we're really watching <laughs> A guy with Down syndrome fight another guy and he's really fighting him. And we're really filming this? Like it was bizarre. It was bizarre. That that scene had one of the fanta most fantastic literal punchlines too. And the cook comes out. I, think, I feel like that's down. why they came up he's with got that part. Down, down syndrome. syndrome. <laughs> and we tried to get this, this song for that uh, uh, from Karate Kid. We tried yeah. to get uh, uh, the best or whatever. It's been used a lot. And we're like, ah, this joke has been everywhere. I think even Sunny in Philadelphia used it, um, using that song as a punchline. Mm -hmm. But you, so you have to clear that song with the guy that wrote it, Joe, Joe Bean. Esposito. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Esposito's like, yeah, I clear, I clear it all the time. Just give me the pages. He's like, I, you know, this is how I make my living. I sell this one song to everybody. So send me the pages. And we didn't want to send him the pages because we're like, he's not going to clear it. Like he's going to see what this is. And they're like, no, no, he always says yes. He always says yes. We send him the pages, phone rings the next day. No, he's not clearing this song. So the song you hear is a, is a copy. We got the publishing rights to it. It's not him singing it. It's not the exact version from Coffee Town or from uh, Karate Kid. And that's why we couldn't get Joe to sign off on it. That's hilarious. That's, yeah, that is such a, yeah, that is such a great scene. And like, it's a jaw dropping scene. You can't believe it's happening. Like, yeah, it's just fantastic. So the last question I have is you, you recently completed a screenplay for the upcoming film, like you said, coming to Disney Plus, uh, Flora and Ulysses, um, starring Allison Hannigan, Danny Pudi, uh, Bobby Moynihan, and uh, again, Ben Schwartz. Mm -hmm. um, can you tell us a little bit about that? So Flora and Ulysses is based off of a book, uh, the one, the Newberry Medal, 
three years ago uh, called Florin Ulysses. It's about a little girl whose parents are getting divorced. Uh, her dad has moved out and her dad has an obsession with comic books that he shared with her. So he leaves and her world is just broken. She's this 12 year old girl. And she's like, the movie opens with her throwing her comic books away and giving up. And so the squirrel, she, the squirrel comes into her life like through an accident in her yard. And it turns out the squirrel has superpowers. So the, it very much becomes like almost like Miracle on 34th Street, where like this family needs a miracle to pull them all together. And the squirrel is, is, is the miracle. And it sounds quirky and weird, but it really is just a big family story. It's got a ton of heart. Um, it's live action, but the squirrel is, you know, photorealistic. The squirrel is done by the same people that did Lion King and, you know, uh, the one and only Ivan and all that. Uh, so you can't like the squirrel, it's unbelievable. You can't believe this isn't a real squirrel when you see it, but there was, it's hundred percent digital. Uh, so that, yeah, that'll come out early next year. And it's, it's, it's really fun. It's really great. And we've got a lot of funny people in it. We, one of the fun facts was we have all the ducktails. So Ben Schwartz is a ducktail. Bobby's a ducktail. Daniel Pudi is a ducktail. And then Kate, uh, what's her name? The, 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 is the other duck. So all the ducktails just randomly ended up in our movie. That's, that's awesome. That's, that's amazing. Well, listen, <laughs> uh, listen, Brad, uh, what, what I want to say is, of course, to our viewers, I implore you guys to go to IMDb, look up Mr. Brad Copeland and, of course, watch everything. I mean, whatever he's done, watch it, look over it, it and, you know, look out for that script that me and him are going to be pitching for you with our petition for Kit Knight Rider. But uh, and uh, again, you definitely do not disappoint. You've been a great interview. One of the things that we want to say before well, before we go with that being said, um, beyond uh, Flora and Ulysses uh, and, of course, on Disney Plus, is there anything else they can look out for you that's coming up right now that you want to let us know about other than the sequel to Coffee Town called Brown Town? What else is coming out? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, 2020 needs Brown Town. We need Brown Town, man. <laughs> I have two projects that are going to be the next thing you see. One is about, um, one's called Jerry and Marge Go Large, about a retired couple in Michigan that find a way to hack the lottery. And this is based on an article that was in the Huffington Post called Jerry and Marge Go Large. You know, you know, you guys should Google it, have your people. It's one of the most interesting stories you'll ever see. Um, so we wrote that script and that's being assembled uh, with the cast. I can't see who the cast is, but we're putting it together right now. Uh, so that'll be shot. Hopefully I can't say the director, David Frankel, who directed uh, uh, Devil Wears Prada and Marley and Me, uh, who lives down in Miami. Um, great director. Uh, he's going to be directing it. So that's going to go forward. And then I have a, like I said, a horror comedy that's kind of like very close to my heart, just like Coffee Town was. So you'll see that hopefully in the next year and a half, I'd say. I want to start shooting it this spring, summer. Um, but it's very much in the tone of Evil Dead, you know, American Werewolf in London, uh, a horror comedy, but a dark, scary horror comedy. And it's weird. And I'm sure you'll see some of your, uh, some of the Coffee Town people coming back into Please. it. Yeah, so that's something I'm gonna. That that's probably the next big thing I'm I'm doing. So you guys will be the first to hear it in the some days. Oh, thank oh, you. I am sincerely. You've given us so many exclusives to today. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to talk to us. It has been an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Sure. Have a great afternoon. Stay safe. Thank you. We just want to thank Brad. Hey, Brad, again, hey, much success. Thank you. Hey, listen. You always be my kid to my night writer. Be sure to uh, visit the channel on Tuesday. We'll be posting the full over hour interview with uh, Mr. Copeland. We get into a lot of nitty gritty, juicy, exclusive.
and also some just great insight from somebody who has made it in the world of writing in Hollywood. Uh, so be sure to check that out on Tuesday. Let's get into uh, Room for Improvement. Not much to change about this, but I do have one thing. Uh, do you have, is there, I, I noticed there was nothing on that page about, you got nothing? No, I wouldn't say I didn't have anything about this. If I were to change anything, I would have changed the runtime of the film. I would have given this a good more 18 minutes probably to breathe because of the fact that there's so much going on with the film that I just feel like it's it's not wasted because clearly I'll go back and watch it. So it's one of those rewatchable films. It's one of those films mm-hmm. that fits to that red category no matter where you're at if you're just flipping to the channel, which people don't do anymore. But if you're just flipping and it's on, you watch it. So for to me to add 10 to 18 minutes more runtime to it, I wouldn't, it, listen, I've wasted more time on stuff that wasn't entertaining. So I would have wanted to see more of that. But again, I, it's a tribute to, uh, one thing I would not change is the end. This is one of the best endings to a film because they stayed true to what they wanted to do is, as we talked about with Get Brad out. earlier. No. Get no, no, just no, just break down. As, as we talked about with Brad earlier, they stayed true. They knew what they wanted to do. They knew where they were going, and that's where they wound up at. So that's the only thing I would change is the runtime. Yeah, I, I could agree with that. I think the pacing was perfect through the whole entire movie uh, from beginning to end. But I would, if they if they could have found a way to give me 10, 15 more minutes and maintain that same pacing, uh, I would I would gladly accept that. And um, since they didn't do that, I don't know where they would go with the sequel. But I would I would fully embrace a sequel to this movie just to see. Uh, Chad, Chino, and Will, and Sam all back together again. Even if it's in a different movie written and directed by Brad Copeland. Well, I thought you were talking about the sequel he told us about, Brown Town. <laughs> we'll make that happen. We'll get a change.org post on that, too. Yes. Um, so my room for improvement was the uh, the club scene when uh, Becca takes uh, E, and um, it is almost immediate she's talking about feeling it. Now... Because we did just see, it was like a 60 seconds since she had just got kissed. Yeah, yeah. Now, and, mind and you, though, like, before you do this, Are you, you going to talk, talk to me about movie time? No, no. I'm going to talk to you about, he probably kissed seven girls before this, so there was so much MDMA probably on his tongue. <laughs> Here's but, the problem, because okay. Angela kind of brought this up, too. She's like, you don't, she's like, it, it, more time could have passed. And I would buy that normally, but... In this scene, there is a song playing in the background by the by the band on the stage, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Williams, um, and it's the same song playing. So we're we that we're in like three to four, maybe five minutes Max. tops. You you we know from research online. I looked into this uh, on Google not in my own history, how long it takes. It is in your history, your Google history. Yeah, not not in my biological history. Gotcha, okay. Um, I'm clean, I'm pure. Uh, but it takes longer than the length of one song. It would be awesome if it kicked in, in the le- within the length of one song. Like, you could take it in the beginning of Hey Ya and by Shake, shake it, it, shake, shake, shake it, shake it, shake it, shake it, it like you're a- already... Yeah, yeah, this is good. I'm feeling it. And then the same thing happens to uh, Glenn Howerton when he takes it. He's like... He, he took they, his with they, a beer, though. And some I saliva. I don't give a <laughs> He takes it, and then he walks over. And by the time he takes it here, walks over there, and is talking to her, he's like, 
you know, uh, ecstasy, you know, aside from the feeling like your heart's going to explode every now and then, it's a one hell of a drug. And maybe he's saying that from the future and looking back. I, I, but the, I, that, that, and it's, it's just my little nitpicky thing where um, it's just one of those things that kind of was like, yeah, come on, that. And I and I understand it had to be done for the pacing to get it. But, but what you're saying is at least change the damn song, make us think some more time it went by. Yeah, maybe cut to Chad doing something stupid at home, and then come, come back. back but oh, I forgot they just did that. You know, so, yeah, I, yeah I, 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 I can respect that. I can respect and, that. And really, and I'll be honest, I reached for this. Right. Like I, this movie was so good that I had to reach that far into the bottom of the petty barrel to mm. find this thing that I had a problem with because I wanted to have at least one room for improvement on this movie. So that's that's my petty little pet peeve. Um, you know, ecstasy takes longer to kick in than the I, length of a song. Ironically, the length of for as for as much stuff we've discussed and written down about this film that, that in correlation to the lack of information you can find about the film is crazy. Yeah. We wrote more about the film in the last 48 hours than IMDb, Google, Twitter, NBC. So if you guys just hire us, we'll just do the grunt work for you. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. That, that is what we would have changed in Coffee Town. Uh, let us know if there was anything in the movie that you would have liked to see happen differently. Um, do you agree with uh, with my problem with the ecstasy? Uh, do you agree with his problem with the runtime? Yes. Um, and not necessarily problems, just suggestions in the future. I mean, we've made more with small budgets, so if you give us a big budget, we'll we'll, we'll make more. Was there something? And, and I swear to God, if one person it leaves a comment about they wish there would have been less jokes about race or uh, um, intelligence or special people or AIDS, then just unsubscribe and never visit this channel again because you are the problem. All right, with all that said, uh, given. All right, guys, you know what this segment is. This is where we tell you how much we really or don't with a film. Considering this is a film that was told, I was introduced to this film um, probably about a year ago, you mentioned it, and I was like, I'll watch it. I'll put it on my my David Netflix queue, meaning that when, when I got to it, I got it to it, but it was in the queue. But for the show, since we handle business here and we do what we do and we do deep research and deep dives, um, I had to make sure that I did my due diligence. And I'm going to tell you, I was surprised. So five is the most we can give a film. That means like are we really, truly with it. But for me, I came out giving this film four Four four, and, and that's strong for me. Mm -hmm. And I, but I will say this four with the right to reserve how much I with it at a later date because that was on the first viewing. Yeah. So, yeah, about um, you know what I'm saying? Absorbed. Time and time and time and time. Like, I would have, I like, I like the first time I saw New Jack City, I wasn't like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. And then you grow up and you keep watching, like, oh, shit, no, mm -hmm. no, it's happening. So, for me, I give this film four strong with room for not improvement, but just room for growth to let it sit on me like coffee. You don't. You don't just chug coffee. Mm -hmm. You sip it. You gotta appreciate it. So yeah, me four. I give it four. All right, I'll take that, um, and I'll add one to it and give it five. Okay. Because uh, it, it, I, I just think it's a perfect movie. It is a flawless landing, um, a beautiful ride through the sky, perfect takeoff. I don't know why the hell I did that plane ride in reverse. I guess I'm Tenet. still stuck in tenant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I just think it. it Everything that it set out to do, it did it flawlessly, and um, it it didn't try to be more than it was. It it 
it like didn't shoot for things and fall short. It was simple. It was elegant. It was the the production quality for uh, I mean when you when you find out it's a two million dollar budget, most of it went to location and talent to find out that uh, how much was left for the actual production Mm -hmm. and then what that production looked like the quality of uh, every shot and the continuity that i didn't notice uh there was like a few minuscule things like like uh chino in the background has his hands on his shoulder in the club and then when it cuts to him about to talk to the girl he's kind of leaning like this like little tiny things like that but then to find out that they only did like three takes of each thing and they got days it production time. that tight and it looks that good. Um, and again, I can't, I, I can't talk enough about like in a comedy, there's no, there's no fat on this thing. It mm-hmm. is lean and mean. Every piece of dialogue is there to make you either or laugh out loud like either way you are always in chuckle mode at the least or just like belly laughing because uh, like there are sometimes i couldn't even write something down because i was laughing i couldn't see through the tears in my eyes because something up that chad said right or the way that glenn howerton would respond so that the cast the production the writing the editing uh it was all just i couldn't imagine giving it anything less than five and I fully, fully with this movie. I mean, again, after he drops the line, I'm the number one civil rights person, and he's Caucasian, and he truly believes it, I think that's what Martin would have wanted. And again, from beginning to end, they never they never call it in. They never phone it in. From no. from the first second until the credits roll. I got it! Yeah. And then it, all the way to the end. With the, with the end with police brutality. Yeah, we just, so we shot the wrong person. We just going to pick the bullets up, put them back. It never happened. Uh-huh. So it's like, it's like, there you go, man. So yeah, I got, so all in all, it's four and a half between the both of us. But hey, that's pretty high rate. And hey, listen, you're in the running for film of the season. What what did you think about it? Let us know in the comments. Let us know how much you with this movie. If you've seen it, uh, do you love it? Or I, I would love to know if there's anybody out there that doesn't like this movie that has seen it, that watched it and was like, eh, that's not funny. I want to understand that person. So if you're that person specifically, please sound off in the comments and, and let us know why you didn't like Coffee Town. But for all you out there that, that love it, tell us how much you love it. Uh, this is your opportunity to do so in the comments. And with that being said, be sure to subscribe. Be sure to like the video, share the video, um, and don't forget to check out our Patreon page. Consider becoming a Patreon supporter of the show. We would greatly, greatly, I can't even express how much we would greatly appreciate yes, it. I mean, these, these cigarettes are expensive. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I don't know. Um, all right, everybody. <coughs> Have a great week. And uh, cheers. That's the f***ing coffee. Let me in!